Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. So it's great, isn't it, when you get to be able to take something like this movie, The Incredibles, and begin to maybe see is there something there for us. It's quite remarkable sometimes when you look at various media streams and media films and things like that, that you can find so many themes. Many of you may have seen the film, some of you may not. So in a nutshell, it's the story of Bob and Helen Parr and their family. Bob Parr, otherwise known as Mr. Incredible, um, and his wife, Helen Parr, otherwise known as Elastigirl. And they, have, they were for many years a, an amazing crime-fighting duo in Metroville. They were successful at thwarting many a criminal activity, plot and scheme. And there's a whole load of other superheroes around them and unfortunately things turn sour when there's a number of law cases against superheroes where things have gone wrong and the government in Metroville have decided it's time to shut down the activity of the supers as they're called. And they initiate something called the Superhero Relocation Programme. And people like Bob and Helen Parr and other superheroes have to assume these anonymous, mundane identities and blend into suburbia, into the normal, ordinary routines, the boring routines of life. And for 15 years, that's where Bob and Helen Parr and their three children, Violet Dash and Baby Jack Jack, who come into the story, they're living that kind of life. And Bob is so frustrated with his mundane life. He's not out there finding criminals and using his super strength and changing his city, his, his society. And with his friend Lucius Best, otherwise known as Frozone. They, I know, it's the stuff of comics, let's be honest. You'd choose a better name, wouldn't you? Mr Ice would be better, but there you go. But they, they now and again... They sneak out as vigilantes just to know what it was like to live that life as a superhero. And there is Bob churning over the papers in his office day in, day out, until some kind of communication comes through that Mr. Incredible is needed on this, this remote island to save the world. And as you know in the film, the whole story revolves around how it takes a super family to save the world. It strikes me that superheroes have become so much more part of common culture, of modern day culture. Back in the 1930s, the, the comic books of Marvel and DC found their beginnings. And I don't know if you're a Marvel person or a DC person, or whether like me you think it's a lot of money spent on a lot of shooting up and all kinds of remarkable things. But there you go, it's this way society is, it's the superhuman superhero stories that are the blockbuster films of our day, the Marvel stories and the DC stories. But you know, superheroes aren't always those people who wear capes and gowns. Sometimes they're the ordinary, normal people who are living selfless lives, putting themselves on the front line, putting themselves out there for the needs of other people. So many heroic stories. I love those things like, you know, the Daily Mirror Brit British Awards where you people you've never heard of who just did something remarkable get a moment in the spotlight for their heroic bravery, their heroic acts. But the Bible talks to us about the superheroes of our faith in Hebrews chapter 11. 
And in the early part of Hebrews chapter 11, we find the story of 10 men and women who by faith did remarkable things for God. But I actually love the latter part of Hebrews 11 a little bit more than the early part. Because it's mostly unnamed people, but remarkable exploits. Let's just read together these verses from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 to verse 40. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of the sword, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and depressed and mistreated. But others, there we go, they were, they were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised them. This is an amazing last sentence, folk. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. I doubt that these men and women, most of them unnamed, saw themselves as heroes. My gut feeling is these were men and women who just chose to live for God, chose to believe God in whatever they were experiencing. And there's some pretty extreme things mentioned there. It's kind of X-rated reading in many ways, some gruesome things. And it's strange that the, the Hebrew writer would use such pictures. But I'm sure the writer's trying to present to us the strength of faith and conviction of men and women who said, I'm going to live for God. I cannot deny living for God. So many phrases in there that could be preached on in and of themselves. But refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. The choices that they made. And as a result of all of that, the epitaph over their life is that they were too good for this world. Wow, what an epitaph. What a thing to have put on your gravestone. She was too good for this world. He was just too good for this world. And I love some of those profound statements, you know, that their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And it's heroic language and it's, it's kind of the picture of superheroes of faith in the Bible. But that's not what life's like for you and me, is it? It's not very often we face lions in a lion's den or walk into a fiery furnace or have to put marauding armies to flight. It isn't like that, but being a follower of Jesus is covered in all kinds of challenges for us. Emotional challenges, psychological challenges, physical challenges, 
financial, relational, all kinds of challenges. And yet the one I really want to focus in on is that challenge to live our faith publicly and confidently in an environment that maybe seems quite hostile. Now I know that the whole world's not against us and it's not the fact that you know, we're, we're worried all of a sudden that police are going to run into the building and cart us all off for, for being here this morning. Although in some parts of the world today, that's real. That's the hostility that some followers of Jesus are facing. But getting that into context, it isn't that hard for us. And Peter says in his letter, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Because the Christian faith was never meant to be anonymous. We were never meant to hide away. And it isn't actually as ordinary a life as you might think your life is. So I want to pose three questions to you this morning as we we look through this theme. And the first is this, why are you trying to be normal when you're not? When we, I was here a few weeks ago and when Laura was speaking and uh, she got us just to turn and uh, you know, pose a little question to one another. So, so here's a little exercise for you just for the next 20 or 30 seconds. It's a preacher's nightmare because you can't get it back after, but we're going to go with it anyway. But if you could have one superhuman power, what would it be? Turn to the person next to you, tell them what your superhuman power would be. If you could have one thing, one superhuman gift or power, what would it be? Okay, bring it back in, bring it back in. Now, I'm going to let you into a secret. I'm going to let you into a real secret, but um, I'm married to someone with superhuman powers. My beautiful wife, Amanda, she has a superhuman gift. She has super hearing. Do you know, I only have to touch the top of the cookie jar in the kitchen. She can hear it the other side of the house. I don't have to go within three centimetres of the fridge. She can hear it. And then there's this voice that echoes through the house. I know what you're doing. Superhuman powers. But the reality is that we're pretty normal. We feel in so many ways. And the thing about the Parr family in the film Incredibles is that they knew they had extraordinary powers. All they wanted was the freedom to live them out. And I want to say to you today that you are not normal, that you were not designed to be normal. God didn't call you to be normal and ordinary. You are an extraordinary person as a result of what God's done in your life. Do you know that today every one of us who declare that Jesus Christ is our saviour have God the Holy Spirit living within us? Jesus says the Spirit will be with you and live in you. He said actually what makes you a follower of Jesus is not that you go to church, but that the Spirit comes and lives within you. Every second of my life, and sometimes it's a daunting and frightening thought, sometimes it's encouraging and consoling, but every second of my life, God's Spirit lives within me. Where I go, He goes. I am not ordinary, you are not ordinary, you are extraordinary. And as a result of that, God has called you and I to an extraordinary life. A life that recognises what it means to be part of God's kingdom. 
which is part of embracing God's purposes for his world. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, the Bible tells us that you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. All across this room are miracles. Never seen a real miracle. You could be sitting next to a miracle this morning. All across this room are people who once were blinded, spiritually unaware of God's love for them and God's plan and purpose. But then some remarkable moment happens where they discover that Jesus is real as a purpose and a plan for our lives, a hope for our future. And there's a radical transformation takes place, sometimes over a process of time, sometimes instantaneously, that makes us remarkable people with a remarkable message to make a difference in the world God's placed us in. And even though we may not have superhuman powers, we're equipped with the dynamic and the power of the Spirit to live every day for Jesus. And that's what he wants us to do. In 1 John 4 verse 4, we read that you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit in the world. I don't know if you believe that today, but God's spirit living within you is greater than any atmosphere or environment that you could find challenges your life of faith. And you're not just going to be able to be Mr. Invisible and walk out of it, fly out of the window, but you are going to be able to call on immense resources and strength in God to stand strong whatever you're facing. I also want to ask you whether you blend in or stand out. I don't know if any of you remember the very first Superman film with Clark Kent and uh, Lois uh, Lane in that, you know, that film about Superman. And I didn't get to see it, sadly, in the 70s because I was in church and I was told if I went to the pictures, I wouldn't go to heaven. So it was a bit, a bit like that, you know. So. so I got to see it when it came on the telly. And when I saw it, I was quite astonished, really, because I discovered that all it took for Clark Kent to disguise himself was a pair of glasses and a suit. So I just want to warn you in a moment, I'm going to take my glasses off. I'm going to transform into this superhuman character. No, it doesn't quite work like that, does it? And it seemed remarkable that he blended in so easily. In fact, he was this bit ditzy and, uh, you know, strange little character running around after Lois Lane, as you sure, I'm sure you remember in the story. Until all of a sudden he went into a telephone box. No, I'm not going to do it. You're all right. But you know the real challenge is that Christians can be living in plain sight of everybody else and they don't know that you're a follower of Jesus. What a tragedy it would be to work in the same place for many years, to socialise with the same group of people, to live in a street where people tend to know each other, which isn't that common, but it does happen. And folks, never know that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that you're fruity or freaky and you've got a fish on the back of your car facing the wrong way just in case the police stop you or anything like that. But because actually you're living a life that is quite obviously different. You know, when I had a proper job and I was a pastor and not doing what I'm doing now and, and we led, led a church for many years, as some of you know, and uh, we, we did proper church like we do here at Life Central, two morning services. And I'd often think what the neighbours thought when every morning 
quarter to eight in the morning in my car off to church. In the early days, I used to wear a shirt and tie. Do you remember those days? When you weren't a real pastor unless you had a shirt and tie? And you looked really serious. But actually, the reality is that we're called to live our faith in the sight of everybody who we see. To, to not lack the conviction to stand out and be clear about our faith. Not wearing camouflage like the military need to wear in certain situations because they're trying to blend in so that they're not seen. They don't give away their position. Some Christians, I think, sometimes may be guilty of trying to do that so hard and yet forgetting that Jesus sends us into his world. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read where Jesus says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world. And that word witnesses that the Bible uses comes from a Greek word, marturia, from which we get the word martyr. And it connects us back into the Hebrews 11 story that sometimes the cost of following Jesus is not blending in. You know, the reality is it really doesn't matter that much at all if we walk out from here with our hands in the air singing at the end of our time or not. You know, I could walk to my car a little bit in a little while and I could be singing our last song that the guys would have led us in and uh, the worst I'm going to get is that people think I'm loopy and loony, which happens most of the time anyway. But you know, there are some of our brothers and sisters across the world today when they step out of where they're hiding to worship it's a very different world. And it's not tough being a Christian today. Yeah, they've got challenge, we've got challenges to the culture that's changing around us. We just have to get smarter and clearer and more aware of how we're sharing our faith. But the reality is that we're not facing the challenges that so many other people are. Do you blend in? Or do you stand out? And the final question is what does it take to stand out? How are we going to do that? What kind of qualities might we need to live this life of faith in a way that we're not ashamed to do so? Apostle Paul says, doesn't he, in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And today, across the world, there are many of our fellow brothers and sisters who are persecuted for believing in Jesus. What is it that's causing them to stand out? Well, when I read that chapter in Hebrews 11 again, I realised that there's one person I was surprised wasn't mentioned by name. His exploits are there, along with some of his compatriots, but he's not mentioned by name, and that's Daniel. I love the book of Daniel. The first six chapters of Daniel are remarkable. It's all about faithful people in a foreign place. It's all about People who live in a culture that is not in any way connected to where they've come from. The last six chapters, well, they're really hard to get your head around. But the first six are great. And the story of Daniel is quite remarkable in many ways. Because Daniel is taken from his homeland as a, as a Jewish boy, a small lad, into captivity in Babylon. And he's given a new name. His Hebrew identity is taken from him. And he's given a new name. He's re-educated, he's brainwashed, if you like, in Babylonian culture, in the language and the history, even the magic arts. And his three, his three friends, who the Bible tells us their names are Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, but you know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Or as I was taught in Sunday school, shake your bed, make your bed and to bed you go. 
And it's so interesting that you, Bible scholars here, would know them by their Babylonian names, which tells me that they were so immersed by their culture, their identity so taken from them. Folks, I want to say to you that we must not lose our identity in our culture. We must not let that be taken from us. We are who we are because we've been born again by the power of God in our lives. And we're followers of Jesus Christ. And that's our identity. Who we are in him is far more significant than who we are in our culture. And when I look at these four guys and their lives, there's three things that stand out to me. I want to throw back at you in the next few moments before we wrap up. To suggest that I think that these things may help us to stand out and not so easily blend in. And the first is devotion. There's a moment in Daniel's life we read about in Daniel chapter 6 where his enemies are very much set against him. And they want to find a way to trap Daniel. They want to get Daniel away from power. You see, the story of Daniel in those six chapters is in chapter 1, he's a young boy taken away to Babylon. By the time we get to chapter 6, he's a 70, nearly 80-year-old man who's lived in Babylon almost all his life, but he has never surrendered his conviction to follow after God. And he has served three kings of that nation, even when Babylon was taken over. And he has stood firm, and now he's a, a statesman in the land, a wise statesman, but he's still one who worships God. And so how do they feel they can get at him? What is the best way to get at Daniel? What they do is they suggest to King Darius, listen, why don't you decree that anybody who prays to any other god is breaking the law, and if they do that, you'll throw them into a den of lions. Now, what might you do if a law was sent out to say, you must not pray? Hey, that's a question. But what does Daniel do? In Daniel chapter 6, we read that when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home. Well, you might do that. But he knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. May I be so bold as to suggest to you that devotion runs much deeper than singing a great worship song. And I love doing that. My devotion to God is something that connects me to him. It's much deeper than that. And when Daniel's devotion to God was outlawed, he just went deeper. He just determined to connect more fully. Now, I want to say to you, I'm, I'm not a person that believes there's one way that we connect to God and we must pray this way, we must do that. I lived up, lived and grew up in an environment where we were presented with rules and regulations, how we would do things, how we had to go into our prayer closet. Well, all we had in our closet was a hoover and a broom. I don't know about anything else. And how we had to do this and how we had to pray this song and how to do it like that. And for so many people, how you connect to God is very different. I have a friend who says he can't sit still that long, so when he, he, when he connects with God, he walks and connects with God. Other people, when I first married Amanda, I found out she would write her prayers down. When she was connecting with God and spending time with God, she'd write them down on a notepad. That's how she found it easier to connect with God. How you connect with God is between you and him. But if you don't do it, then your devotion is going to be challenged. And I find, even as a seasoned Christian, I've been in Christian leadership for nearly 35 years. It is still a challenging process, week in, week out, to make choices in my life about keeping my connection to God strong. 
And if we're going to do that, if we're going to stand out as the church in our nation, it's going to firstly be because we're utterly devoted to him. We're committed to who he is and what he's done in our hearts and our lives. But the second thing I, I see in their lives that helped them stand out was confidence. And we go back actually a little bit further into the book of Daniel. And in, in Daniel chapter 3, we find that the King Nebuchadnezzar has created this huge statue of himself. That takes a little bit of confidence, doesn't it, to make a statue of yourself. And he sent a decree out that when a certain sound echoes across the land, that everybody has to bow to that statue. And this is where we learn really about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Because they determine in their hearts, their devotion to God is such, they just can't do it. They want to respect the king, but they are not going to bow down to another image. Don't forget, they're living on the back of the law of God, being you shall have no other image before me, no graven images. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. That's the history of their faith. And so they're called before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar seeks to intimidate them and tell them, well, look, if you don't bow, you know what's going to happen, don't you? And this was their response to him in Daniel 3. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God we serve is able to save us. Whoa, that's a great line for a superhero film. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Oh, what courage. What faith in God. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. There was a confidence they had that God was with them. The strength of God was for them. And there's something in my spirit at this season saying that the church needs to find its confidence afresh in our nation. Folks, I believe that our nation needs the church of Jesus Christ. I don't think they recognise it all the time. But the difference that the church is making across our nation, and we're not always making it in our worship services, but churches across the nation are making it when they're meeting with mums in toddler groups and, and seniors at luncheon clubs and in food banks and youth work and all kinds of things. The church making a difference. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And that Jesus taught us it's not just a heart that needs a message, it's a body that needs food. It's a trembling soul that needs an arm around the shoulder. And we need to understand and find afresh our confidence in the gospel. I believe with all my heart the gospel changes lives. The good news of Jesus is that however broken you are, whatever's happened in your life, you can find hope in Jesus. How do I know that? Mary Magdalene, Bartimaeus, Lazarus, Zacchaeus. The unnamed woman who comes to Jesus when he's sharing a meal at the house of Simon the Pharisee weeps over his feet, pours her perfume over his feet and Jesus doesn't push her away in embarrassment. He says, those who forgiven much, love much. And the reason I believe that the church needs to find our confidence afresh is because I believe we have the mission of Jesus which he articulated thus in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set captives free, to release the oppressed, 
to open the eyes of the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. We have a message. And do you know, folks, all across the world today, the gospel of Jesus is changing lives. As we're here at 12.35, just to let you know, I do know what time it is. At 12.35, here in the West Midlands, I nearly said Birmingham, but I'd change And the West Midlands, somewhere else in the world, hundreds of thousands of people are giving their life to Jesus today. Bodies are being healed. Families are being brought back together. Marriages are being reconciled. Children and parents are coming back together over meals at parents' homes. All kinds of miracles are taking place in our world. Now, it's not in the Daily Express or the Times or the BBC or Sky News. But I tell you, in God's story, the world is changing today because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Don't be drawn into a false sense of security about our nation. Don't kind of be lulled into this indifference. I believe that our nation needs the good news of Jesus and the hope that's in Jesus. And do you know how they're going to find it? Through you and me. Not as preachers, through you and me. Living as salt, living as light. Jesus says, don't hide your light. Don't hide it away. Let your light shine before men so they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Final thing I see in the life of Daniel and his friends is courage. You know, Daniel's thrown to a pit of lions. I don't know about you, but I'd be looking for a way out pretty soon. I mean, that's a pretty frightening prospect. I mean, West Midlands Safari Park, just down, you know, the kiddie road down there. I tend not to go because you have to change windscreen wipers, don't you, when you've been there? The monkey's picking away at your windscreen wipers. But what's more frightening is is those enormous, powerful lions. We were able, some years ago, Amanda and I, when we were doing a missions trip in southern Africa to do a mini safari, and you just get a sense of the power and the enormity of, of lions, of creatures like that. And Daniel's thrown into that. And the king actually is anxious for the morning to come. He knows he's done wrong. When he opens the pit and he sees Daniel there, Daniel says this, My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I think if we're really going to stand up, it's going to take some courage. And I understand for some folk to, to articulate that they're a follower of Jesus in their work setting or in your family. That might be the next great step of courage for you. But God's with you. And I know that so often we feel we're facing up to lions, to, to things that could devour us and and it seems that Daniel survived all night just watching those lions. How many of you know that, that those situations seem so much bleaker at three o'clock in the morning when it's dark and you're just desperate for the dawn to come and it's cold in your soul? And sometimes we've got to stare the lions down all night. Sometimes we've got to stare down the enemy's threat. Just reminded of that passage in, in the book of James where we're told that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm. James says, stand firm. Believe. Why? Because your brothers all across the world, they're experiencing similar persecution. Stand firm. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he talks about spiritual armour, he doesn't say run or fight. He says, stand. Stand firm then. Stand in the mighty power of God. God's not asking you to fight. He's asking you to stand, to be confident and courageous in the middle of your situation that God is for you. And almost seamlessly, we get to the end of Hebrews 11 and we go into Hebrews 12. It wasn't written 
in chapter and verse, as I'm sure you know. But we go into Hebrews 12 and we find this story of these great cloud of witnesses around us. I want to suggest to you that these men and women that he's been writing about, they're the witnesses. Friends, I want to suggest to you that they're, they're cheering us on because they're anticipating something that they're going to get with us. And the kingdom that's yet to come. We're living in the kingdom now, but there is a kingdom that's yet to come. God's kingdom that's going to come, that he will one day reign once more. Unquestioned, unparalleled in all of creation, a new creation that's going to happen. And in that moment, they receive everything they promised as we receive it all. We're living out for the same goal, the same target of finding our completion in God through our relationship with Jesus. And listen to the words as Lee and the musicians come back and prepare to lead us from Hebrews 12. As for us, we've all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has been already marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sin sinners who oppose their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. You're an incredible too. You have an incredible saviour who has done an incredible work in your life. You are more than you could ever dream that you were. You are an incredible child of God, an heir of God, an incredible joint heir with Jesus. You have an incredible God, the Holy Spirit, living within you. You live with an incredible message in your life. You have incredible hope in front of you. We're part of an incredible purpose for the whole of mankind because our incredible God can make an incredible difference in the most broken of lives. You're an incredible too. And we're not going to sing something that's a more worshipful response. Because there was just as I was preparing this stirring in my heart that sometimes we just need afresh to connect with that incredible God story. The story of the kingdom of God. Of how great he is. And our hearts are lifted. Our minds are lifted. And we, we lift our gaze away from what pins us down to see what calls us forward. That Jesus calls us forward for his kingdom. And I love this song. It's only a couple of years old. The Lion and the Lamb. That he is both that sense of power and grandeur, but he is the gentle, loving Saviour who calls us to him that we might live in the power and the majesty of his kingdom. Let's stand together. Declare that over our lives afresh.